I'm so thankful for the Rivaskas, for their testimony, for their message, to, to be able to share with them in what God has been doing in their life. Um, I'm thankful for their friendship and um, just to see how God, especially with Marku, to see how God has used him in powerful ways. And, um, and I'm, I'm so glad for, for, this, for this testimony. So thank you to the Ravaskas. Well, it was March 15th, the last time that we March 15th. And uh, it is such a gift to be here. Technology has been a nice resource on, on some level, but there's nothing like being face-to-face. Um, the Sarf family, we had a lot of great experiences of, of family worship, um, but we are all looking forward to getting back into the routine of meeting, meeting together. And today is Pentecost. Uh, it is the day that we celebrate the permanent indwelling of the Spirit. And I have to give credit to Janet Moberg for this one. Um, <laughs> about uh, a few years ago, Stephanie and I were facilitating a community group at the time, and Janet was in that group. And in one of our meetings together, Janet said, you know, we, we put a lot of emphasis on Christmas, and we put a lot of emphasis on Easter, but what about Pentecost? Why, why, why don't we give that the attention and the focus that it needs? And, and that really resonated with me, and I thought about that. I mean, think of how important this day of celebration is to the body of Christ. And so I am, I am looking forward to uh, being able to focus a little bit of time today um, on Pentecost, the story of Pentecost, and what it means for us. And I marvel at God's timing in bringing us together again on Pentecost. We have been living in a time with much uncertainty, and as we look around the world, waiting for things to return to normal, and wondering is what, what is to come next. In thinking about Pentecost, I have to wonder what the disciples and the first followers thought as they were waiting together in very turbulent times, wondering what would be the result of Jesus' last words in Luke 24 when he says, I'm going to send you what the Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And they were waiting, and they were waiting there, not knowing what was next. Pentecost would become the event that would usher in the new covenant and transform the world through the giving of the Holy Spirit to permanently reside in his people. And I am so humbled to go through this passage with you today. Would you pray with me as we ask for God's Spirit to lead and teach us this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you for Pentecost. We thank you for what it means for us, how it has impacted uh, our work in the world, how it has impacted us as a church body. And in this time, we ask that you would not only teach us, but that you would transform us so that we can leave here different people. That your spirit within us moves and works 
so that we can go out and that we can be effective in fulfilling your, your mission, your covenant to the world. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I know that I'm popping a little bit. Do I need to do something different? I just don't want to pull away. So hopefully that's not too much of a distraction. So the word Pentecost means 50th in Greek. In the Hebrew, the festival is called, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, Shavuot. That's the Hebrew word for the festival. And it's also called the Festival of Weeks because the festival took uh, place 50 days after Passover and uh, about seven weeks and so that's why they call it the Festival of, of Weeks. And it commemorated the law given to the people at Mount Sinai, combined with celebrating God's provision of the late spring wheat harvest. Those were kind of the two focuses that, that, the, that the Feast of Weeks focused on. And it was no accident that God chose the giving of the Holy Spirit to occur on Pentecost. It is here in Acts 2 that we see the official consummation of the new covenant sealed by the giving of the Holy Spirit. Now, before Pentecost, people understood a few key concepts about the Spirit, what it did. Uh, number one, they recognized that it was very active in creation, right? We read in Genesis 1, right from the beginning, that the Spirit was above the waters. It was working with the Father in creating our world. The Spirit uh, before Pentecost would indwell in people, but it would also be removed. And we see that in the story with Saul, King Saul. The Spirit was upon him, and then when he did some things that weren't so good, uh, the Spirit left him. And we see this uh, especially in King David in Psalm 51 where he says, God, let your Spirit not depart from me. So he even recognized this idea of, 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 of how it can move, move away. And generally speaking, the spirit was typically reserved for the prophets. The spirit is what was used to be um, given the word so that the prophets could tell the people what God wanted. And so these were some of the things that were going through people's minds about the spirit before this happens. So if you would, please open your Bibles to Acts 2. And we are going to read, um, we're going to read uh, 21 verses. When the day of Pentecost arrived, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a wind house where they were sitting and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them they were filled with the holy spirit and began to speak in other languages as the spirit gave them utterance now there were dwelling in jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven and at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not these who are speaking Galileans? 
And how is it that we hear each of, uh, how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, uh, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to, to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews, proselytes, Cretans, and Arabians. We hear them in our own tongues, the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocked. They are filled with new wine, they said. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall see dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they will prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The, sh the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Before we get deeper into this passage, it's important to talk about the Old Testament perspective of God's plan to redeem his broken creation. We see right from the beginning in Genesis 3 where creation was broken, and we move to Genesis 11 where there's a dispersion that happens. The Tower of Babel incident has just occurred. And God says uh, in verse 6 that they will not be uh, stopped in doing great evil. And so we have to disperse them. We have to confuse them. And so we see this picture of God dispersing the people throughout the world. And then in verse 12, we see he makes this connection with Abram, and he creates this covenant, this plan. He says, I'm choosing you. Nothing that Abraham did, nothing he did. There wasn't something special about him. He was just chosen by God. God said, these are the people that I'm going to choose to now redeem my creation. And he says to Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you, all people. So we're starting to see how God is, is orchestrating this, this out. So what would God do to, to, to make this happen? Exodus 19, 5 through 6 says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all of the earth is mine, and you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And this was shared with the people before Moses goes up to Mount Sinai to get the law. <clears throat> so under the old covenant, the focus was on the law 
and following it in order to be priestly and holy. But in many spots in the Old Testament, God is telegraphing that a new covenant is coming. God does not go back to the drawing board, but personally intervenes so that his plan can continue. God says in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, Behold, the days are coming, excuse me, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and teach his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Under the old covenant, the law had to be taught. It had to be learned and memorized and practiced. And when the the Israelites, when when God's people would mess up, they would have to sacrifice. And that's how it was for hundreds of years. With the new covenant, God said, I'll be the sacrifice. And God said, I will place the law in the hearts of of all who know him through the Spirit. This is the idea that prepares our minds for as we focus on our passage today. And prior to chapter 2, prior to this part, Jesus told the 120 that were there, right? There's 120 brothers there. There's probably more with some of the women. But the 120 brothers, that the Spirit would come soon And when it does, it will empower them to be witnesses to the whole world. New covenant being initiated. So in verse 1, I'm just going to take a little bit of time bringing some key points out from the narrative. So you can follow along. In verse 1, we say that uh, they were all together. And I use 120 because it's important to see and, and, and view what that looked like. Uh, for, for some reason, when I think of the story, I always think that there's these, the 12 apostles, that they, they were there and it was happening. But there was 120 brothers that experienced this. And so you, hopefully you can get that image in your mind of how many people were, 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 were uh, in this situation. Then moving to verses 2 through 4, we see that this group of 120 are filled with the Spirit. And it is... Uh, seen through a heavy wind and tongues of fire. Now again, this usage that Luke uses in Acts is, is uh, not a random thing. It signifies the presence of God. We, we see throughout the Old Testament how wind uh, or, or, or cloud represents the presence of God. And the same thing with fire. We see fire being uh, something that, that shows that God is there. And it also has this purifying component too. 
which I think is exactly what's happening in this moment, this tongues of fire. Um, you think of Isaiah, right? When, when, before he kind of goes into the throne room, right? What, is the, what does the angel do with the coal? Touches his lips. The purifying happening by the Spirit. And then the manifestation of supernatural power or this miracle that all of a sudden they're starting to communicate in other languages. So, so when it talks about they spoke in other tongues, it means specifically other languages. And we're seeing that play out in the text because people heard things in their own language. So in this, in this case, that's what we're talking about. Um, and so these, these uh, 120 men were speaking languages that they had never, they didn't know. But it was empowered by the Spirit. Verses 5 and 8 talk about how the languages were heard. Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks, uh, required a pilgrimage. So there were a lot of people from other nations, right, as it says, that came to Jerusalem at this time. And if you remember from what we talked about with Genesis 11, right, the dispersion, what is God doing? He's initiated by bringing the dispersion back to this place so that they can, they can begin to hear the good works of God and be affected by the Spirit. In verses 9 and 11, we see this list of nations. And again, I want, you, I, I want to take you back to Genesis 10. In Genesis 10, we see this table of nations, right? Uh, so these are the table of nations that uh, are there before the Tower of Babel incident. And uh, it, it's a little bit of a, a, a long list of all of the nations that, that represented the whole earth. And the cool thing is, if you look at the list that I read, there's a lot of parallels with the table of nations from Genesis 10. And so we see how God is making this happen. And it's this, a chess game maybe isn't fair of how he's orchestrating this and bringing it all together. In verses 12 and 13, we see dual responses, right? Some people were amazed and, and positively impacted by what happened. And some mocked. And that's the way it's always going to be. You're always going to have people that are going to accept, and you're always going to have people who mock and reject. That's not new. But it's important for us to know that because in what we do, in, in, in going out and being led by the Spirit, we know that we are going to experience both of those responses. And finally, verse 14 through 21, <clears throat> we have Peter's sermon. And Peter's sermon begins with this quotation from the prophet Joel. And he's highlighting this because the prophet is being fulfilled in this moment. And the main point from the Joel passage is that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And I think this is an idea that's a little bit of a struggle for us to wrap our mind around because, again, we, we, we've lived in the the, the post-Pentecostal age for a really long time. Go back to what I said about the understanding that people, people, people thought that, um, that only prophets 
could have the spirit. That's, that, that's kind of all it works. And for, for them to consider that all flesh has access to this was a bit of a kind of a mind blow at that point. Sons, daughters, young people, old people, even servants could have the indwelling of the spirit. To understand this a little bit more, I think about some of the things that Jesus taught before he died and raised to life. He taught a lot about the Spirit. He was getting his disciples ready so that when Pentecost did happen, he would be ready to go. So I'm going to highlight just a few things that Jesus taught that were initiated after Pentecost. Um, I'm not going to read the references. If you want to go back and look at them, I would encourage you to do that. I'll, I'll, I'll give you the references, um, and you're more than welcome to, to write them down. First reference is at Jesus' baptism, and this is John 32 and 33. And we see how Jesus uh, has the Spirit come upon him like a dove, right? So John makes sure to make that note, uh, make that note. And it's important to see the word that he uses after the Spirit comes, up, comes down on him. And the Spirit reigned. Very intentional word, word used by John in that moment to indicate what this was going to look like going forward. Chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. Now, a majority of chapter 3 is uh, Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus. Um, just out of curiosity, how many of you have seen the, the new TV series, The Chosen? Okay. That has to be everybody. This, this is an incredible show, right? And there's a lot of things out there. There's a lot of miniseries out there in the life of Jesus. But this, uh, this show is absolutely amazing. Uh, our family has been watching it. Um, and they did a lot of research, a lot of working with Jewish historians, Jewish Christian historians who would have known some of the customs at this time. And one of the most, it's my personal favorite, we see this interaction occur between Jesus and Nicodemus. It's absolutely beautiful. I, if we had more time, I would have totally shown the clip. Um, but you need to go see this. Um, but in it, we see this interaction, and the Spirit... As Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he talks about its role in salvation. He says, you have to be born of the Spirit. If you want to be a part of the kingdom of God, you have to be born of the Spirit. And Jesus describes that in a little bit more detail um, with Nicodemus. And talks about how when we are filled with the Spirit, we are directly led, constantly led by the Spirit. Chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, talks about what true worship looks like. And so this is where Jesus is with the woman in the well, and he talks about what true worship is. And he, he combines a couple of things. He says, true worshipers worship in spirit and in truth, right? So a, a lot of the times we can think about <clears throat> what worship looks like, and we can say all the nice things about God. Um, I'm blanking on the passage. I think it's in Peter where it says... Um, you know, you know that God is real, but 
so what? So do the demons, right? So there's this, this knowledge thing, this idea of what is true, and, and, and that's great. But at the end of the day, what's true worship? Being connected to the Spirit. Having the Spirit within you. That combination of that Spirit indwelling plus what is true, that's when true worship happens. We see this intimate connection with God when we have his Spirit in addition to truth. And this combination is so vital in our worship. And lastly, um, in chapters 14, 15, and 16 of John, we see some of the practical roles that the Spirit does. Um, and in, in, this, in these chapters, we, we see the Spirit called the Helper. That's one of the main words that Jesus, Jesus used, uses. And so the Helper teaches you all things, right? You remember how we talked about um, uh, Jeremiah, right? We don't have to teach those things anymore, right? Like, we, we don't have to, like, memorize the law. It's within us. That stuff is there. So the Spirit teaches us. It bears witness to God. And this is basically, it confirms what God's doing is to be true. Right? It's, it's, it's kind of a, it's a proof thing. Sometimes we can kind of get our minds away. Um, but it's a, it's, it's, it's a true thing. Conviction, right? This is the one that we, I think, have more of an understanding of. That, that the Spirit convicts us. It's like, no, 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 no. Don't. Don't do that. Don't do that. Right? We, we, we want to do something and we can feel that like that holding back. And the Spirit guides us in truth. So it's not just a one-time thing, right? It's our idea of sanctification, right? It guides us in truth. It's a process. It's a journey that happens. When it comes to the topic of the Spirit, we could spend months worth of sermons on this idea. And I know that we've really only scratched the surface, but today, Pentecost seems to have a little bit more weight with everything going on in our world. For a while now, we've been getting our daily dose of political polarity, a public health crisis, economic fears, racial tensions, and fears of violence. It is so Easy, uh, easy for us to frequently cry out to God and ask why. What is going on? What are you doing? What are you waiting for? And God's sovereignty has consistently been a part of my personal prayers because I need to be reminded that none of this is a surprise to God. But it is still so easy to slip right back into the mindset that chaos is the ruler of the day. But at the end of the day, especially today, we have learned from what happened on Pentecost just under 2,000 years ago. First, God continues to use sinful humans to achieve his purpose. He always has and he always will. And it started with Noah. Right before he was going to destroy the entire earth, Noah found favor in his eyes and he began this old covenant, this, this covenant process. Of connecting with him. And it doesn't end with us. God is still calling us to be active in this world. Secondly, we are equipped. The same spirit that was present and active at creation indwells in us. The same spirit that fed the word of God to the prophets is within us. 
the same spirit that Paul says raised Jesus from the dead is within us. The same spirit that caused the 120 to speak languages that they had no knowledge of is within us. And this is why Jesus said it would be better for you if I go. Jesus on earth in bodily form could only do so much, but the spirit of Jesus residing in each individual for the rest of time, that changes things. Look at what happened after Pentecost. Thousands upon thousands of people became believers and followers of Jesus. And nations were transformed. I think of Rome, right? Rome was this, the, the epitome of, of, of prosecution of the Christians. And then it became a, like a Christian state because of this work and because of what the church did. Highland Community Church, the harvest is ripe and it's time for us to go. It's time to be truly God with skin on. We have a hurting world who needs to know the power of God. How are we meeting needs? How are we loving the unloved? How are we taking on the burden of others? How are we proclaiming the good news of Jesus so that the lost may be saved? These are the questions that we must ask and act upon when the answer is given by the Spirit. We're going to conclude with a powerful passage of Scripture and spend some time as a church in corporate prayer calling for God to act and to use his spirit within us to do his work. So what will happen is, is after I read the passage, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to allow some space, and I want you guys to pray out loud. We've got our mask on, so you've got to be loud, nice and loud, and just pray what God, what the spirit of God in your heart is calling you to pray in this time. And after that, we're going to have just kind of a reflection song. You can sing along with the song, or if you want to sit in reflection, it's totally up to you. And then we'll close our service. So I will be reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. You're more than welcome to read along, but if you just want to sit with your eyes closed and hear the words of Paul, that would be great too. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation. Written on our hearts to be known and to be read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. 
Now, if the ministry of death carved in the letters of stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Heavenly Father, oh, move. At the ministry of the Holy Spirit within the body, within us as individuals. And I cry out to you, God, use us in this dark time. Change lives. Take away fear that prevents us from following your spirit create awareness to individuals to families to to people who need you and who need to know the power of god god in this time hear the prayers of your children 